0: How do I make myself as available as possible mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually for whatever it is that I'm participating in, whatever team I'm a part of? And that frankly has nothing to do with anyone else. It has everything to do with the individual. It's how I eat, how I drink, how I buffer stress um, with appropriate amounts of rest. It's how I manage my relationships, um, how I think about my purpose.
1: Welcome to the Emergency Mind Podcast, I'm Dan Dworkis, and this is a space where we're together lessons from the emergency department and beyond about performance when it matters the most and applying knowledge under pressure. Our guest this episode is Kristen Holmes. Kristin is the Vice President of Performance Science at WHOOP, a team devoted to using biometric data to create unique approaches to systematically optimizing human performance. Before joining WHOOP, she spent time as a player, a coach, and an educator on the U.S. national field hockey team, and spent over 10 years as the head coach of field hockey at Princeton University. In her own journey to success under pressure and in her time as a coach, Kristen is truly a student of human performance. And in this episode, we talk about the importance of running experiments on yourself, of setting up structures that breed success for you and your team, and ultimately how expert level performance is really to a great deal related to the tiny little choices we make day in and day out before the moment we're called upon to perform. Before we get into the episode, a reminder, if you're not already, to sign up for the Emergency Mind newsletter. It's called Knowledge Under Pressure, and it does a deep dive into a lot of the subjects that we cover in these podcast interviews. It's free, it's awesome, and you can sign up at emergencymind.com slash sign up. Okay, all that said, let's get to it. Hope you enjoy. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm super excited to to talk with you about this. I've been really looking forward to it. I think there's like a ton of really interesting stuff to to dive into about human performance today.
0: Thanks for having me. <laughs> Pleasure. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm hoping we can start uh, actually separate from what you're doing now and go back in time a little bit on sort of on sort of your own journey. So you um, had a really interesting career, both as a player and a coach in field hockey, but, but either in field hockey or out of field hockey, how did you personally start getting interested in, in human performance? And what was that journey like for you?
0: Yeah, I guess it dates back all the way to my college days, really just always trying to figure out how i can gain a personal edge how i can improve my own performance outcomes you know you just start to ask questions of you know all the factors that really go into outcomes you know you start thinking about okay well how does nutrition influence my ability to perform how does you know my hydration levels how does you know, training and recovery and, uh, you know, my my psychological, my mindsets, uh, my arousal levels, you know, you just start to dig into it if if you're competing for long enough. And I, I played on the US team for seven years. So I had ample time after my collegiate uh, time to to continue to think about it. And I was fortunate enough, I went to University of Iowa, and I was fortunate enough to when I was doing grad work, meet up with a couple PhD students who are actually in this performance optimization world, you know, way ahead of their time, frankly, but, you know, asking all of these questions around the physiology and the psychology. And um, so that's where I, I started. I, I became kind of a research assistant for for them and and started uh, really digging into just the factors that influence performance and, and started trying to put a, a framework around it really, you know, just from the really roots, you know, what is actually performance? You know, how do we how do we define it, how do we measure it, you know, what are the, the most important factors that actually influence performance, you know, how do we develop routines and habits and structures or, around those factors, how do we help people think about their performance levels, so I've always been really interested in it, and then when I arrived, uh, then I, when I became a head coach, uh, after my playing career, I realize quickly that the tactical and technical aspects are only a part of the equation. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm surely you see that as a, as an ER doc, you know, it's, it's just a piece of the puzzle. You have to be the very best, obviously in understanding the technical and tactical aspects of whatever your craft is. But if you don't understand the framework around that, you're never going to be able to sustain levels of performance, right? You're never going to be able to win a championship year after year, for example, or, or, or simply optimize, most importantly, optimize the potential of the group, whatever that might be. Hopefully it yields a championship, but it doesn't always, but it's more important is about, okay, what? how do I get the most out of this group and out of each individual? So having a framework around that was really important to me. And that's when I set out to kind of create this performance education platform. So really in parallel to the skills and and of expertise in the sport i was building this performance education that i would take my student athletes through um and then once you know a lot of the technology started coming out where we were actually able to quantify a lot of uh these physiological aspects i I incorporated that into the framework of what we were doing so not only do we have this kind of more subjective type of framework around performance education we started to be able to layer on top uh some of the um some objective data so just kind of it's always been my goal to kind of knit knit those two together uh, to to provide folks a framework to help them optimize their potential.
1: Hmm. And when you first started doing this, like when you were when you were a player and you're sitting there after a game and you're like, man, that went well or that went poorly or or, you know, I and I apologize, my knowledge of field hockey is so limited that I'm not even sure how to make this metaphor correctly. But like when you're looking at, you're you're breaking down individual sub-skills or sub-components, how conscious of this process were you at the very beginning? Were you sitting there with a journal after every practice being like, cool, my, you know, this skill was good, this skill needs more improvement. Were you able to really concretely define what your metrics of performance were? Um, And I guess I'll, I'll also say that like in some areas where we do, um, high level performance under pressure, it's easier to define successes and failures and metrics than it is in others. And in fact, um, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. Jeez, I think it's a Wednesday morning on, on whatever tomorrow is, there's an episode coming out where we spend a lot of time, uh, another ER doctor and I talking about what does it mean to actually have success in resuscitation? So this is a really, really open question, I think, for us in the emergency field. Um, uh, but for you, when you were starting, what was that like?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's definitely evolved over time. I, mean, I think back then I I took it quite literally and was able to look at, you know, and I definitely like if you look at my notebooks that I kept from back then, I was I'm just a more a pretty analytic and analytical and introspective person just generally. But um, but my notebooks were really I mean, it was very defined in terms of what I was actually working on in that specific game, you know, whether, you know, inside that match or, you know, practice. I mean, everything was really defined. And we had that structure, uh, particularly both in college and on the US team in terms of, you know, really evaluating our performance and and focusing in on certain things. And there are aspects to the game of field hockey that, you know, you definitely can quantify, you know, how many, how many times did I execute my stick stop or my insert, you know, so you can look at things from an accuracy standpoint. Um, And then there's just, you know, the subjective pieces, you know, what were my energy levels? What was my mood? Those are also some things that we started to track once I got on the national team. So that was always interesting to kind of look back and correlate performance levels with kind of our perception, our thoughts and feelings on on how we, you know, what what our perception of, was going into a, a practice and and the, what was it afterwards. And so, yeah. So I mean, uh, lots of data as a as a player uh, in terms of you know how these things kind of fit together. But um, yeah, I mean, I was always very specific and tried to do my best to quantify uh uh performance levels in a a sport frankly that's difficult to kind of quantify you know because there's a lot of variables you know my stick stop is only as good as the person who inserts it right so you kind of have to account for some of those variables and and uh and and be able to filter out the noise so you can actually get down to all right what did i actually have control of and of the Mm -hmm. stuff i had control of uh how did i do (laughs) and that principally that's obviously how we think about you know our execution i think just just you know on a Fundamental level is, you know, what did I have control of, and, and other of things that I have control of. Was I able to minimize errors, and uh, and uh, and execute, you know, with with uh, you know some decisiveness.
1: And it sounds like in some of that was being driven by your coaching staff and the environment of the team around you who are giving you these structures and these frameworks and saying, OK, this is how we measure performance. This is how you're going to chart yourself. And we're going to look at these metrics together. I would imagine some of that is also very internal coming from you and and you saying, OK, I feel the need to tune myself this way a little bit. Um A lot of that comes uh, from mastery in some level, right? Like when you're a beginner, and, and maybe you can speak to this as a coach also, when you're a beginner and you're watching somebody as a beginner, they might not even know what direction they need to tune themselves. And so there's this interplay between how much structure you generate yourself and how much structure is given to you. As you look at your own journey through sort of studying performance, how has that balance changed over time? Has it driven more towards internal structures or has it driven more towards external structures?
0: I mean, I've definitely been always been acutely aware that, you know, any kind of long term success must be intrinsically driven. Um, you know, the external factors are have become less and less relevant to me over time. I don't really look externally for anything, frankly. Um, I think, you know, just kind of happiness and um, your direction. It's it's all for the most part. Um, you know, a decision you make and, you know, kind of how you feel about yourself, frankly. So I think kind of strengthening, uh, strength, strengthening that has, has really been um, is, is my main focus. And uh, so, yeah, I think just the concept that, you know, I need to find within myself and ask questions to myself about what it is that I, how do I actually want to be spending my time? So I think actually at a foundational level in order to do all the things that you just cited in terms of execution and kind of the framework, at a at a foundational level, you have to decide, okay, well, is this actually what I want to be spending my time doing? (laughs) So I think that's honestly the the most important thing to always go back to is, you know, is this thing I'm spending time and energy on is this part of my value structure, right? Are, are my, am I able to live my values through the behaviors that I'm going to be engaged in, you know, 24 seven? So I, I think that's fundamentally like a really important piece to all of this is, you know, does this thing give me an outlet for, uh, you know, to live my values? So I, I think that's kind of the place to start. And that's really the, the intrinsic piece, right? If, if this thing that I'm doing, um, you know, is fulfilling enough to me to, to be able to, you know, do, the massive amounts of effort that it requires to do something well, uh, then that's when you can really sustain, um, I think, kind of a a high performance mindset and, and execute. Yeah. Mastery does not happen by accident, right?
1: You have to, you can have all of the tools and techniques and everything else in the universe. And if you don't want to get it, if you don't want to get after it, it's not going to happen. As you transitioned a little bit from playing to coaching, that I think that takes on an entirely new dimension. And uh, at this point, it's August. So in the emergency world, everybody has just taken a level up in July, right? You have the new doctors that are just starting their emergency training. The folks that are already in their training are assuming new roles and responsibilities. And everybody is really a beginner again. Um yeah even those of us that have been practicing for a long time, the environment's changing, everything's new again. So as you're working with folks that are just starting in that part of their journey, how do you, how do you teach some of these things that we're talking about here? This, and you obviously can't necessarily teach anybody else the joy of figuring this out because that certainly has to come from within, but understanding about how to work within these structures of uh, tuning yourself, understanding how an environment of a team works, how, how do you teach that to
0: people? I think you start actually with the self rule piece. (laughs) I think sometimes when we, when we get inside a team, we want so desperately to make this team cohesive and we want to get them to start working together. And, and I actually think that initial journey is, is quite um, is quite individual. You know, it's what do I need to, what do I need to take responsibility? What do I need to be responsible for each day? Uh, What are those things? Um, And because those are the things that are going to enable me to contribute to this team in an effective way, right? So I think it's really, it's, it's having a very clear picture for the individuals in the group on what are the factors that are going to influence their ability to come to this team environment with capacity, right? Um, how do I make myself as available as possible mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually for whatever it is that I'm participating in, whatever team I'm a part of. And that frankly has nothing to do with anyone else. It has everything to do with the individual. It's how I eat, how I drink, how I buffer stress, um, with appropriate amounts of rest. It's how I manage my relationships, um, how I think about my purpose, you know, do i have the ability to you know get resources for areas where i i don't have the skills and expertise to execute right that feeling of of efficacy is really important right it's a core psychological need you know do i have some semblance of control over my schedule you know these are things like that you have to in a team environment you have to point the individual to and say hey these are the things that are going to influence your ability to contribute to this team and be a valuable member of this team not just for one week of the year or one month of the year but for as many days of the year as as possible and if they're not willing to take care of those factors that are going to influence their ability to come to the table with capacity come to the team with capacity Well, then those are people who are not going to be on my team i can promise you that so it does start i think from a recruiting when you're bringing folks into you know i I think at your level as a your you know you can recruit people to your team right like you hire i mean in, in most any corporation right you like you have a choice on who you bring to your team and in my my the most important criteria when i was coaching and i had the opportunity to recruit i could pick who was on my team you need to be at least you don't have to master and understand all the factors that influence performance obviously that's what I'm going to I'm going to help you understand that but you have to be willing to be accountable to your own choices and your own behavior and the whole thesis around that is you know performance is a choice if you understand the factors that influence your ability to you know uh, come to the table with you know attentional capacity with energy the right amount of, you know, energy, effective energy, motivation, you know, um, and and arousal, if you understand the factors that influence that and the choice then you can make choices that are gonna help you come to the table, you know, with as, as much availability as possible each day. So I think that that concept of self rule um is really, really important and is the foundation of any team. Accountability precedes culture, I guess I would always I would always say.
1: I absolutely love it. That (laughs) idea of personal responsibility and 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 understanding that you have to make these choices not just once the beginning, but every day to keep showing up and keep showing up. And I think that's especially true in the middle of a situation like what we're facing right now where there's sort of these unprecedented challenges and a lot of people working in the in the emergency space that like you have to keep showing up and you have to keep showing up tomorrow and the day after and your Um, Your output your benefit to humanity or your benefit to the team or however you want to measure That is really uh, is really the integral of your work over time, right? It's not just your one performance at this one moment Even though at the same time you have to be able to perform at your peak at these individual moments, right? So there's this inherent tension in there in some sense between like can I be optimized for today? and can I have this longevity this integral of work over time and that's not an easily answerable thing about where you should tune yourself within that tension. But mm-hmm. wherever you do, it falls onto what you're saying, which is this, this sense of personal responsibility and, and am I doing the things that it takes to show up for work tomorrow? That's a simple question in one sense, because it's either a yes or no, right? You either do the things or you don't do the things. But it's a complicated question at the same time. And, and so to me, there's two, sort of, there's two sort of pieces to that, which is one is how do you know what the things are? How do you know what the things are that it takes to really show up in the way that you need to? And then two is, in some sense, how do you actually execute on those things every day?
0: That's exactly the next step is, is I, is I think, you know, once you have folks who are really committed to this, this concept of accountability and, and wanting to do the right things. And, and that's where, you know, when I think back to my days coaching, there, there wasn't a student athlete that I, I recruited who didn't want to do the right thing. You know, so it was really my job. That's the kind of person I was trying to find to bring into my environment who, who really had the best intention to do the right thing. So then it was my job to help them understand based on what we know from science and all the research that exists around human performance, what are actually the things that we need to, to, to focus on that are going to determine outcomes in demanding circumstances. Mm-hmm. What are the things, what are the choices I need to make every day that are going to position me to, to be my best, the best version of myself when it matters the most, right? And there, there are physiological things and there are psychological things. And it's not a, a million things, but it, there are core aspects, um, core influences that if we don't manage, they will influence our ability to choose our level of performance.
1: Hey, folks, this is Dan again, interrupting for a second. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to present the next section a little bit out of order. In just a moment, Kristen is going to explore a really interesting and deep model that talks about the psychologic and physiologic factors that the performance science world has identified as being really crucial to performance under pressure. There's a lot of depth here, and I think it's easier to understand if you have a broad overview of those six factors to start with. So first, we're going to hear Kristen do an overview of what those six factors are. Then we're going to jump back into the podcast in real time as she explains in more detail what those factors are and how they interact with each other and with human performance.
0: When we think about our ability to adapt to our environment, right, which is really what we're all trying to do, right? whatever, Whatever stress is in my environment, I want to be able to adapt to that stress in the most optimal way, right? and the factors that most influence our adaptive capability are on the physiological side is our sleep behavior our recovery behavior which includes stress rest cycling nutrition hydration and our exercise or movement behavior on the psychological side it is purpose so you know am i able are, am I able to live my values, and and do I understand what it is that I really care about? Um, so, and, and do I have a purpose-driven life? Efficacy: Do I have the skills and resources to to do what it's asked of me on a on a daily basis? Because if we don't have the skills and resources to do what's asked of us on a daily basis, it's just really hard to be happy, right? Because you're in this constant tension, and you have this constant, you know, this dissonance that where you're like, oh my God, I I I just I'm never good enough, right? So being able to identify where you fall short and be able to ask for help is is a huge skill and a really important psychological need. And then finally, control. Do I feel like I have some semblance um, over just my life in general? Um, And then being able to dig in, you know, what makes me feel in control? What makes me not feel in control? And being able to have some sort of conscious you know awareness around around those factors there are there are really no neutral actions right you're either you're making a choice that is going to upgrade your performance levels which is going to allow you to live your values with as much joy and energy as possible so this is this is about being a parent This is about being a spouse a partner this is about you know being the best ER doctor you can possibly be you know whatever it is in your life that that you value and you care about you you have to have a framework around these factors that are going to actually influence your ability to do that.
1: Okay. So now that we've had Kristen prepare a skeleton of this model for us, we're going to jump back into the natural flow of the conversation and fill in everything else that makes this model really work.
0: And again, if you go back to this principle, that performance is a choice. Okay. If I want to choose my level of performance, what is it that I need to think about or attend to physiologically on a daily basis? I need to meet my sleep need, right? I need to get quality sleep, right? That's Foundationally, that's the most important human behavior experience we have as a a human being. So if that's not right, nothing else will correct itself. You're always going to be in debt and you're always you'll essentially adapt to a lower level of physical and cognitive functioning if you're not getting the sleep that you need. So number one is helping folks understand the importance of sleep. The other piece that you need to be accountable to is is the is the recovery side of things and baked into recovery is buffering stress so being able to identify stress the magnitude be able to measure it and then apply appropriate levels of rest relative to that stress and this is something that happens throughout the day right so i as a as a high performer i need to be able to say okay that was on a scale of one to five stress level five being absolute max stress that was a two all right that might mean I'm going to do some breathing for 90 seconds just to kind of reset i'm going to buffer that stress even though it was maybe positive stress i'm going to buffer it with rest so then i can re-engage my next task with the same level of focus i did the previous task so i know as a high performer that buffering you know my stress with appropriate levels of rest is really key so that kind of falls in the recovery bucket Hydration re- fall, falls in that recovery bucket as well. So how am I thinking about my hydration levels? You know, am I am I drinking water, right? Like that water pretty much solves, like sleep solves everything. So, you know, drinking water throughout the day is, is absolutely, uh, you know, essential. Um, and then, you know, nutrition, what type of am I, you know, what's the quality and, and content and timing of, of my meals? And am I thinking about that intentionally? So all of those kind of bake into um, the recovery piece. So sleep, recovery, and then, movement and exercise so how what am i how am i thinking about the physiological triggers um you know what is my physiological intent and am i you know maintaining fitness levels am i trying to get fitter um am i am i resting am I tapering you know what is my physiological intent and what does that mean about how i need to move um, and then obviously we're always evaluating recovery to understand you know, if what I'm doing is, is actually functional or if I'm getting into a non-functional zone where I'm basically getting no return from the work that I'm putting in, right? And that can happen, right? When we we exercise too much or we overtrain, um, we get to a point where we're not getting return from that. Definitely paying attention to, um, you know, fitness levels and using data is really important. Um, and then on the psychological side, you know, it's really purpose, efficacy, control. If we look at, you know, all the work that's, you know, by Richard Ryan and Edward Desi, you know, some of the the great social psychologists of our time, you know, those three needs keep bubbling up in in the research as really the most important core needs we have. So you take those kind of six things and you recognize that those six influences are going to have the biggest impact on my ability to have a growth-oriented mindset um, because I can't access that mindset without those things in place, right? And then that will, in turn, influence my arousal level, my physical, mental, and emotional arousal level, which will then in turn, influence my ability for effective effort, you know, optimal energy per, motive production and motivation. right? So that's kind of like the the performance framework, right? If we take all the research that exists, it's really those six things that are that are core. So when you talk about in a, a team environment, you want those you want that framework in front of, every member of your team. And if, if you can kind of create a structure or in routines and habits and and understand what's optimal, then you can make choices that will position you to you know basically, you know, choose your level of of performance.
1: So what I want to do now is take that structure and let's map that onto some of the circumstances that people um, working in emergencies really have to deal with, which are, you know, by any definition that we just listed, not ideal situations in any stretch of the imagination. Um, It strikes me that the more well understood our environment is, the better we understand the challenges we're going to face, the more predictable it is, and the more clear-cut what a successful outcome looks like, that situation is something we're most able to apply these choices to. Conversely, when you get into situations which are unpredictable or unfriendly perhaps in the the military meaning of it where we're potentially physically ourselves under danger. They're shifting back and forth. They occur at random times. These things are sometimes a lot harder to make those choices in. Now what you said initially was entirely correct. Every day we choose how we do these things. It's our responsibility within the set of what's possible to choose the best actions. And they're really as you mentioned, are no neutral actions. We choose one way or we choose the other. But how do you take this structure and map it into things that are unpredictable, unfriendly, rapidly changing, and potentially quite dangerous at the same time?
0: Yeah, I, how we think about it. You know, I, I work with uh, hundreds of tactile athletes. Um, we have over six hundred Navy SEALs on the platform. So I'm, I'm and we've got. You know hundreds and hundreds of doctors at, at this at this point, you know, to to your point, who are who are dealing with very unpredictable um, you know uh, circumstances in, in every sense of the word. How you deal with unpredictability or that is your downtime. So when you're away from those moments that are going to be highly variable, highly unpredictable, um you know you don't know what's occurring next you need it's it's how you spend the time your time away from that moment that will dictate your ability to handle the unpredictable unpredictability and um you know the demands of 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 the those environments that are so uncertain you know it's really how you manage the downtime so i I, the folks that I see are, who are most capable of managing stress in the healthiest way possible are those that are really taking care of their downtime in the most kind of conscious, uh, uh, productive way. Um, so I always say, you know, when I'm talking to tactical athletes that, you know, their cross to bear is really, it's the downtime, right? It's, you know, are you drinking alcohol? Are you, mm-hmm you know, stabilizing your sleep-wake timing? Are you, um, you know, doing meditation and mindfulness throughout the day? Or are you on, you know, sympathetic activation, cortisol, you know, driven 24-7? Because that is not sustainable, right? That's when you come home from, you know, your, your day and you, you know, you yell at your spouse and your kids and, you know, because you have, you don't, you're not, you don't know how to deactivate, right? So part of dealing with unpredictability is, is understanding how during those, those moments, you know, how do I deactivate? You know, what are the, what's the skill set around that? And in my downtime, how do I need to behave so I can manage the, when I do have to be on and, and, and deal with the, the unpredictability, unpredictability that, you know, invariably exists in, in in the line of work that that you're in. So, it's it's really it's it's being kind of pristine in the downtime, um, and figuring out healthy outlets to, you know, uh, you know, kind of deactivate, right? Um, and if I can spell that out, you know, so drinking tons of alcohol is not a healthy way to deactivate, for example. <laughs> okay. um But but, that's, that's, but we we use alcohol, medication, um, you know, we get in fights with our spouse, you know, and those are all a a symptom of wanting to come down from that activated state, right? We just don't know how to do it in a healthy way. So the framework I guess I'm talking about is if we can create healthy structures, you know, that that incorporate, you know, the 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 six things that I talk, I spoke about, uh, you know, that give us that framework. If we can, if we can create structure around that in our downtime, we'll be more positioned to adapt to that unpredictability in the best way possible.
1: So it strikes me that there's uh, sort of two um, two levels of this. There's the macro level, which is sort of what you're talking about in terms of s- subsetting out your like you know, sometimes we call it stethoscope on time and stethoscope off time, right? There's like the time, although nobody uses stethoscope anymore these days because of COVID, but whatever, right? Like you're like doing your, you know, your like intense resuscitation medical work. And then there's the time when you're not doing that and finding the balance between the ebb and flows of those things in your life and understanding that that is in and of itself, a skill, learning how to balance that ebb and flow to, to create that, Um, Positive recovery that allows you to perform is is certainly a skill At the same time There's also a very micro level of that in the middle of a shift, right? So when I'm thinking about running a critical resuscitation Say a code blue a cardiac arrest event, right even in or a really sick, you know, multi stab wound trauma Even in the middle of that incredibly intense period. I'm also doing that ebb and flow cycling Right? I'm never sprinting a thousand percent for the entire time. I'm always cycling back and forth between Like fast and slow and on and off and trying to find those little moments of, of Recovery in the middle of the wave even as it's crashing on top of me Right. So when we think about the structure of a cardiac arrest, we usually run it in two-minute segments That's how you know advanced cardiac life support works. So during that two-minute period We might be active incredibly fast for a short period of time and literally be doing nothing even in the middle of somebody else doing CPR as we like drop our heart rate recover as much as possible regroup our thoughts and plan for the next cycle so there's this there's this multi level periodicity to all of our work even in the most critical moments and and that too is a skill recognizing those moments of recovery in the middle of what feels like it's a solid sprint I guess my hypothesis is is that those skills are linked that the better we are at understanding how to control our physiology in the macro flows the low um the low frequency uh, flows the better we are at also understanding how to control our physiology in the high frequency flows granted that that model breaks down when you look at the actual like nerves involved and how you're doing the work of chemical transmitting your signals and etc but but intellectually it feels like there, there's a relationship there between training it.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we're we're actually doing some research um looking at that right now um with Stanford University. So we're we're really excited. I, I guess as you were as you were talking, I w- I was thinking about, you know, just professional basketball, how you know, they're on the foul line and they're doing, you know, uh, you know, a set of six of box breathing, for example, mm-hmm. you know, or they're on the bench and you know, they've they're out for you know five minutes and they're doing breathing. They're mm-hmm. still engaged. They're still on, but they're using that skill of deactivation. So when they they do have to apply effort, mental, physical, or whatever, they they haven't adapted to a lower level. They're able to come mm-hmm. bounce back up. So I, I think what maybe is missing in some of the training potentially you know, in, in emergency medicine is, is just the skill of being able to activate and deactivate and recognizing in your environment when that moment is where you can do, you know, a, a set of, of box breathing, you know, just nasal breathing through your nose mm-hmm. and, you know, consciously just, re, you know, accessing the acetylcholine, So you can, you know, reduce your heart rate and you can kind of take a, a mini rest cycle. So then you can activate again at, at, at a a level at least equal to what you're able to do the previous set, you know, where you were on. So it's I think these mini skills of, of really understanding how to buffer stress during these kind of blocks of time where you're, quote unquote, on identifying when you're there's actually a moment where you're off and using that moment to really bring your heart rate down you know drive your cortisol level down you know you, you we can we have more control over our physiology than we think we do and I guess that's the opportunity here and and that's where we see you know even on a on a mission where you know we've got folks the the you know scariest situations possible they're doing breathing right mm-hmm. um, they're they're finding ways to deactivate so they can you know reduce these corti- you know stress levels and cortisol and you know so they can then, position themselves to kind of reactivate and get the arousal level where it needs to be. Um, But if you're driving that state, you can only drive it for so long before you come crashing down. Right. Or what's even scarier is there isn't this moment where you're crashing down. You just end up adapting to a lower level of performance without actually knowing it. And that's all the research and literature that exists out there tells us we don't know, we can't perceive our own cognitive and physical declines, Mm -hmm. right? When I am not operating at my potential, I can't see it, right? And and that's what's sneaky about some of these professions where we don't have this skill set of understanding how to toggle between these different physiological states, right? We just end up driving in one state, which is the sympathetic state, Right. Uh, when we think about this from an autonomic nervous system perspective, and we just simply can't sustain that. Right. We end up burning out. We end up committing suicide. We end up, you know, beating our spouse. You know, frankly, these are these are problems that exist. Right. So I, I guess I hope it's okay to talk about it. But you know, these are these are this is what we have to solve. Right. And it's giving folks the, the skills and the understanding of how to deploy some of these, frankly, really easy techniques um, amid amidst what is feels like a kind of a chaotic moment. But It wrestles to the ground, all the things that we're talking about in terms of recovery and feeling in control, right? You can always control your breath for the most part, right? Like that's the one thing that is just with us, right? And if we understand how we can access that to our advantage, I mean, it changes everything.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's an incredible link between our conscious and our autonomic nervous systems and our ability to interface itself around our breath like that. But this idea of self-tuning, and and to me, this has always been, I always like the metaphor of like a, a string on an instrument, right? You have to have it at just the right tension. Not enough tension, you don't get a note. Too much tension, the string breaks. But over time, you need to be able to not just stay at that one tension but to modulate the amount of tension that you have in both with low frequency modulations in terms of i'm an on cycle i'm an off cycle and then high frequency modulations are sort of like you, you know what you'd call like high frequency oscillation where you're actually really revved up and then you're oscillating on top of that uh on top of that rev up to get the most benefit out of what you're doing um, like these are these are skills that are incredibly important to train so so within that context I have I have two questions here one is and they're sort of related one is as You are just starting to wander into this. So maybe somebody listening to this podcast. Who's a junior Learner or, or an athlete who's just starting in their career. How do you start? Learning how to do that. How do you start experimenting on yourself? How to do this self-tuning kind of thing? and then the the, the sort of sister question to that is, if you were in a leadership position and you're running a team, how do you build an environment that that has the most fertile ground possible for people to step into these roles?
0: Yeah, those are two great questions. I think on the individual level, it's it's just a matter of, you know, building it into a routine and, and maybe adding a constraint. So, you know, before I can take a bite of my lunch, for example, I have to do three minutes of box breathing, you know, that's just the easiest great. way, like I, you know, like I, that I just can't take a bite of my lunch until I do three minutes of box breathing. and I do the same thing for dinner. And I think if you're you know, in a team environment or you've got a family, you basically just make that a part of their world too. you know and then obviously you have to teach them how to do it. But um, you know I, my class at, at Princeton, um, you know I did that with my students. Before we started our class, we did uh, you know a minute of, of mindfulness. Uh, And then we did another minute of breath work. You know, this is before it was trendy. Uh, But, you know, recognizing that that was in a, that, that, that allowed everyone just a moment to reset. So sure enough, like they started doing that before every class, you know, And, and instead of scrolling through Instagram between classes, they were, they were doing breath work between classes, you know? So they started feeling how much better they were when they were proactively mapping, um, you know, stress with, with rest. So once you feel it and you, you, you start to feel the, the, the benefits and you, uh, you know, then, then you, you start to just be more, uh, conscious of, of how you can actually control your performance levels, you know, through this tuning, building into the framework is important, like the routines, if you're part of a a team, you know, so at the, you know, before practice starts, um, you know, one, you know, twice during stretching, uh, you know, during the cool down, like building in the, the breath work I think is, is really, is important if you're, if you're a part of a team, it's got to be within the framework. And then, yeah, as an individual, just, you know, kind of making rules around when you're going to do it, uh, before sleep, you know, before meals and before sleep, um, I think are, you know, then you're getting it in at least four times, uh, unless you're fasting, maybe three. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm thinking about um, the former Navy SEAL and incredible leadership expert, Jocko Willick, who's got oh. this book, right? Discipline Equals oh, yeah. Freedom, which which comes to exactly what you're saying, which is that you have to have the discipline to, <laughs> nice, <sun>. amazing. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. Y'all can't see this, but she just held up the book exactly as we are talking about it. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, but, you know, there's this idea that you have to be able to do the, the discipline of creating the structure in your own life and that's what gives you the freedom to achieve the goals that you want to be achieving. Um, And I'm really struck as as we're talking about this about thinking I'm reflecting on my own performance as a leader of teams of physicians and, and nurses and these big multidisciplinary teams and how often am I setting the tone the right way for everybody. Right. How often am I saying, "Okay, guys, we know this is an important thing. We haven't been talking about it. We need to address this. So we're going to collectively take like a two second breath here. And there's a great moment that this happens often. So we'll sometimes get if we're lucky, we'll get a little bit of warning. We'll get the EMS teams calling us in saying, hey, we've got a." you know, uh, a GSW to the box, like a a chest gunshot wound arriving, you know, three minutes. And so we're geared up, we've got our gear on, and we're all standing around in a room and nothing's happening. And usually this is a time when everybody starts joking around, which is in and of itself a sense of lowering the tension and an ability to sort of, you know, modulate our thing. I, I wonder if it's I wonder if that's an opportunity to look at the relative effects on things like heart rate variability between different techniques in that one moment, because it's a pretty baked-in moment that we have. Um, and individually, you know, w- we work with our, our our colleagues about, hey, are you finding those? Um, mom-, we sometimes call them, are you finding those moments of calm in the chaos? Those those centers of peace in the middle of the swirling everything, where you can lower your own heart rate and control your physiology. But there's a responsibility in there that I like now I'm realizing I need to be better about about setting the tone for everybody as you're doing it and and bringing some of these ideas about you know what are the things that drive performance more to the forefront of our of our conversations. Um, and, and in a sense, there's a way that like can you create an organization, a team, a, a structure or whatever that that is centered around these, Principles, which I'm sure I'm like repeating to you what you I'm sure are doing on your coaching staff and on everything that you're doing, which is which is driving this train. But that's um, unfortunately a, a somewhat still new idea in the emergency medicine yeah. sphere.
0: Which is crazy because everything you do is you know all all of the foundations of, of is based in, in science, right? And and that and I guess that's what I tried to bring into the coaching is that you know I wasn't just going to ask you know folks to run through a brick wall. Um, you know, I I wanted to give them data and I wanted them to understand why. And, uh, and I think that's, that's where, you know, when you can build these simple frameworks and just back to the breathing, if you can show, if you just say, Hey, there's just a lot of evidence that not only is this going to help you in your performance in the moment, short-term performance levels, but it's also going to help you get in deeper stages of sleep at night. It's going to help with your sleep onset late. So you're going to fall asleep faster. Like, you know, the buffering stress proactively throughout the day is, is really the single most important thing that we can adopt as human beings. Right. Um, and so I, I think helping, I think being open uh, about that as a leader is, is really important. Um, and, and just not being shy to kind of share the the science, like, Hey, this is, this has made me better. And I think you practicing it. I, and I always felt, such a responsibility as a leader of, of women. And, you know, as a a teacher, like I, I just felt like I, if I'm not modeling these behaviors, I mean, holy cow, how am I going to ask my, my team to do that? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, so if I'm sending, you know, coworkers, my, you know, emails at 3am, what does that say? You know, don't do that don't do that. (laughs) You know, we should be sleeping. We all should be sleeping. So, I mean, even at whoop, you know, and I've been there for four years now, um, you know, I do everything I can to try to model the behaviors, you know, that I know are going to help my team optimize, you know, their own performance, which is going to help, you know, whoop, you know, be the best company we can be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they, like you said, there are no neutral actions. And I think that's especially true for leaders. There are no neutral leadership, right? You are modeling something to the people that you work with. You're modeling something in your interactions. You're modeling something in your own behavior. And you showing up, like, rested and recovered and fit and, like, ready mm-hmm. to rumble, it, like, sends a very different message than you showing up, like, haggard and, <laughs> and not quite there for it.
0: yeah. Um, and, and I think that trend is reversing. You know, I think now like the, I think the antithesis of intelligent leadership is is showing up, you know, sleep deprived and uh, bragging about getting three hours of sleep. But, you know, I, I think that that trend, I think, has passed, which is really exciting. And it and now I think we're actually on to the maybe not in medicine. I think we're still slow to adopt uh that but i I think in the corporate world i I do think leaders are way more conscientious about this concept that wow we're going to be way more productive and way more profitable if folks um have the ability to manage uh stress and have the skills to do that and have the opportunities to meet their sleep need Uh, these are you know really important um factors that influence you know Definitely short-term productivity, but definitely, I think, longer-term outcomes. So not to mention just the health and well-being. Of- <laughs> <laughs> which is important, but, um, you know, if we just distill it down to, like, yeah, what we know people care about. I have, I guess,
1: two more questions for you, one of which is we were talking earlier about uh, the importance of building structures and then actually dropping data into those frameworks, dropping data about your own personal behavior, your own personal work. And so I would... Um, I guess I'd ask you this. So, as a emergency doctor or even as anybody working in in emergency situations, what's your prescription for me? Like, what should I be tracking at the end of my shift? If I've got a notebook with a blank piece of paper, like, what am I writing down to try to build those those structures?
0: I think what's probably most important is what you're what you're doing beforehand to set yourself up to be able to handle whatever those demands are in the in the best possible way. So, I, I think for me, you know, tracking heart rate variability is the most important. It, it's the best estimator of physical and mental wellness. So if you don't understand your heart rate variability, um, what your baseline is, and and how you trend off of that baseline, you're, I think you're missing just a, an enormous opportunity to take control of your your own health and wellness. Um, you know, you want a, a heart rate variability that is you know, responsive to the demands of of your environment, right? Um, and because we know that that bestows a survival advantage, right? We, we know this. So um, tracking heart rate variability, I think, is really important. And understanding when your heart rate variability, for example, is suppressed. So lower variability means that you're not going to be as responsive mentally, physically to the demands of your environment. That's a moment where you can just kind of go back, okay, what are the factors that influence my performance? It's the six things we kind of talked about. What am I doing well? What am I not doing well? And the things that I'm not doing well. I need to make improvements and sure enough, if you make improvements, you will see your heart variability increase. So I think that's a really important metric to, to track, to really understand how you're adapting to external stressors. Uh, and then I think sleep, you know, understanding how much time, how efficient your sleep is, how much time you're spending in deeper stages of sleep is also, like foundational, right? Like you want to be spending almost half of the time that you're in bed in these deeper stages of sleep, especially if you can't get all the sleep that you need because of, you know, the, the job demands, you know, there's even more, uh, emphasis on, there's less margin for error, right? So you have Mm -hmm. to be really efficient. So, okay. If I'm, if you're not tracking it, you don't know, right? So I think getting a sense of, of your sleep efficiency is really important. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think those are probably the two most important things to kind of track as it relates to how you then need to behave in order to kind of put yourself in a in a in a better spot. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are those are the things that you know HRV is going to basically tell you how well you're sleeping, how well you're hydrating, how well you're you're eating, you know, how well you're managing, you know, buffering stress and rest, how how well you're recovering, you know, are you meeting your core psychological needs? All of those things are gonna manifest in your autonomic nervous system, right? And your heart variability, the the measurement uh, that we, that, you know, whoop, takes and, and gives you, and it, you know, feeds you in the morning is gonna tell you basically how well you're doing with all those things.
1: And so yeah. in that sense, almost everything we've talked about over this last chunk of time here has been an answer to the question of how to show up, how to show up ready.
0: Yeah, it, it, those are the things that are, are most, foundational and influencing your performance. So if you can create a system and structure to account for those things, you can pretty much choose your level of performance. You know, I think which is which is all and most importantly, choosing your level of performance allows you to live your values with energy and happiness, right? So it's it's again, it's it's a very um, you know, I think that's the end goal for all of us, right? Is we want to be able to live our our values and we want to have energy, we want to have health we want to have you know vibrancy, um, you know vigor. Well, how do you, how do you get there? Well, you've got to take care of those six things.
1: <laughs> Any last second parting challenges for people listening to this? Although I think you just delivered an incredibly deep one that we all need to <laughs> process right there. But, but anybody listening to this, ER doctor or not, what's your what's your wish for them?
0: Well, definitely to d- kind of anchor to the the cues in the environment. Uh, I think is really important, especially for folks who work night shift, who have, you know, who are in in your world, who have you know super demanding, strange schedules that aren't in line. You know, you you guys can't behave like a normal person, right? So, your exposure to to light and and dark and and when you eat and when you exercise, you know, those are three of the most important anchors we have, right? Um, and because our body's gonna natural is naturally inclined to you know to to anchor to those cues in in the environment and you guys don't have the opportunity to always do that so i think establishing really clear routines and behaviors that are associated with light exposure fueling and exercise um will will really help you mitigate some of the effects of um of your your variable schedule you know when you're not able to get that you know, consolidated nocturnal sleep. Um, you know, if you can think about your light exposure more intentionally, if you can think about your timing of your meals, and if you can think about, um, you know, the, you know, when you you exercise, you can actually really help yourself. Um, you know, again, help you know, kind of lessen some of the the burden associated with with night shift. And actually, tomorrow I'm coming out with an article in the locker on how to deal with night shift so it will talk about like really dig into these strategies yeah that that um in terms of how to really how to solve this concept of of regularity which you don't get to provide your body but in the downtime all of these principles that i'm going to talk about in this article are ones that you want to apply when you don't have that crazy schedule, you have to be even, you know, you really want to synchronize your circadian clock. And, you know, that, that regularity is, is really central to, to human performance and and to, to staving off disease and, um, you know, just, being healthy, right? Like it's really, really important. So, uh, I basically give you some workarounds, you know, if you can't actually get the, the sleep that you need, um, in, in the normal timeframe and light exposure and things like that, you know, how, do, how do you think about that in the context of a, a night shift? So hopefully that's helpful, but sleep, you know, sleep, get efficient sleep. That's probably, uh, the other bit of advice that's really key. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Kristen, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast and talking with us about this. There's there's so many gems in here and stuff I'm going to put in practice in my shift right after we talk and everything else. So it truly, truly a a pleasure and an honor to get to work with you on this. So Um, thank you.
0: So fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, folks, that brings us to the end of this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found something useful that you can use next time you find yourself in an emergency or a crisis. Again, if you want to dig deeper into a lot of the concepts that we covered here, sign up for the Emergency Mind newsletter, Knowledge Under Pressure. It is free and it is awesome. You can join by going to www.emergencymind.com slash sign up. Also as a reminder, our mission here at the Emergency Mind is to dig into lessons around applying knowledge under pressure, not to provide medical advice. Our opinions, as expressed on this podcast or elsewhere, are our own and not necessarily those of our employers or the hospitals at which we work. So keep up the good work, keep training, and good luck out there.